Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. Um, With 4th of July weekend being here, I want to take a moment to spend some time praying for our nation. Um, And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do, this is a lot of what I do on Sunday night on Facebook Live. I'm going to... I'm going to give you 30 seconds to pray silently for our nation, and then I'm going to lead us in a prayer for our nation. Um, And so um, go ahead and bow your head, start praying, and I will pick up in a minute and, and pray. Father, we, we do not worship a governor, we do not worship a president, we worship a king. It's not King George or King James or King any other king, it's King Jesus. It's King Jesus. He's the king of all the nations. When he died and rose again, he um, took his place on God's throne as king of all the nations. He's king of Israel. He's also king of Rome. He's king of Russia. He's king of Germany. He's king of France. He's king of Brazil. He's king of Mexico. And he's king of the United States of America. And Lord, we love this nation as we celebrate this weekend, um, the founding of this nation in 1776. We recognize that um, our nation is, is not like that nation in 1776. Many of us despair that. We um, long for our nation to get back to what it was founded on. Well, we want to see change. We want the nation to um, c- come out of chaos and be back into um, peace and justice and um, righteousness. Lord, you are not a God, though, who takes us back to old things. You, take, you create new things. You are making all things new. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give our nation a future that is um, better even than 1776. I pray that you transform our nation. Lord, I pray for the spirit of um, divisiveness in our nation. I pray for um, the hatred people have for one another. I pray for um, the argumentative state that everybody's always in in our nation. Lord, push all that out. 
and may righteousness and justice reign through the land. Lord, I pray for President Trump. I pray for those around him in Washington. I pray for Governor Brian Kemp. I pray for the governors of all the other states. Lord, I pray for um, our mayor, Julie Smith. Lord, I pray for um, all those uh, that, that lead us locally. Father, I pray that they would um, lead in a way honoring to you. Lord, I pray that you would lead them as they lead us. Lord, we know that you have put mayors and governors and presidents and um, senators, state representatives, you've put them all into place. That's what the scriptures teach. Whether we like them or don't like them, Lord, that they are put in office by you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, transform their hearts, those who know you and those who don't know you. Lord, transform their hearts because, Lord, we're never going to see our country change by, um, by voting for something. We're going to see our country change when hearts are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, would you do that? In the hearts of our government, but also in the hearts of our citizens, Lord. We need Jesus. He's our King. And so, Lord, would you move in the United States and transform us away from the future that many of us fear our nation will go to, but to something new, something good, something righteous and just. Lord, would, would peace reign through our land? Would... would um, diplomacy reign through our land would would freedom reign through our land lord what would would we see these things would you pour these things out on us for the sake of the life the liberty and the freedom of our people god work in us we are fully dependent on you in jesus name amen Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We actually preached Ephesians 3 last week, um, and we're literally going to pick up the next verse. Um, that was completely coincidence. Um, but Ephesians 4, we're spending these first six weeks looking at building blocks of the church, things that are very important for church life um, as the people of God. In a few weeks, we're going to be starting the Gospel of John. I'm very excited for that. It's my favorite book in the Bible. I've been looking forward to preaching it for, since I've been called into the ministry. So the Gospel of John in a couple weeks. But today, Ephesians 4, um, we've looked at the Gospel. We've looked at commitment to Christ and prayer. Today, we talk about discipleship. And I wonder how you would define discipleship. What, what, what would you define it as if, if you were asked to you know, write a definition for it? Um, what, what would you say? You might think of discipleship training union, what we do on Sunday nights um, when we're meeting regularly, um, where we get together in a class and, and, and go through a study together. Um, you might think of kind of a one-to-one -one relationship where one person's a mentor and one person is the student learning from that mentor. Um, you might think of a discipleship group. I was in one of those in college where me and three other guys would meet with, a, would meet with our campus minister every week. We'd study the Bible and we'd pray together and we would share what's going on in our lives. Um, you, you might think of any one of those things and 
those are means through which discipleship happens. Those are not discipleship itself. Um, discipleship is growing as a disciple of Jesus, growing in your faith. That's why you listen to preaching every week to grow. That's why you sing the truths of Scripture every week to grow. It's important to remember this because we, if we forget why we do it, well, we'll stop doing it. Paul is going to show us in Ephesians 4 what happens in church as we grow together in our faith. And so Ephesians 4, I'm actually just going to preach 12 through 16, but I'm going to read 1 through 16 because you kind of got to know 1 through 11 to understand 12 through 16. So um, Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. <clears throat> There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Have you seen that TV show, My Crazy Obsession? You seen that show? It's weird. It'll creep you out. You watch it? There's an episode of a girl who eats bricks. It's just weird. Um, there's a guy that they did an episode about named Stanley Thornton. Stanley Thornton, um, medically they say he, um, he, he has something called paraphilic infantilism. Basically that means he's an adult, but he lives his life like a baby. That is, he's in his late 30s. He lives in an apartment in California. He, he has a roommate who is his mommy, his nanny. He has built himself a human-sized crib, a playpen, and a high chair. He sucks on a pacifier, he drinks out of a bottle, and he wears diapers, and he watches cartoons on Saturday morning. Stanley Thornton. An adult baby. You know, very often people in church, especially in America, are a lot like Stanley Thornton in our, in our faith. 
that we, we've decided, we've been Christians for decades, but we aren't very spiritually mature at all. We, oftentimes, Christians haven't grown in their faith. Churches often haven't done a good job of doing discipleship on a personal level. That is, helping Christians grow in their faith and actually make progress toward Christ-likeness. You know, it's easy to come into a lot of churches and hear a preacher and leave and never interact with anyone and, and, and have it go any deeper. Um, that, that's really easy in a big church. It's just as easy in, in a church like ours. Um, so let's look at this passage and see what it looks like to be mature in Christ and, and how to grow because it's so important. Um, so we, we, read chapter, we read verses 1 through 11, and Paul basically makes this point that the church itself is one body. There are, no div- there, there are to be no divisions between it. We have one God, one faith, one baptism. We, we have one everything. We're together as one. But within that body, God gives a diversity of gifts. That is, people in the church have one common heritage, one common faith, but that's expressed in a lot of different ways in the gifts God gives his people. The Holy Spirit gives those gifts. There's no shortage of gifts, preaching and teaching, faith, generosity, administration, mercy, um, uh, leadership, discernment, uh, so many things like that. And we're, the, the gifts that each of us have, if we're a Christian, we have at least one of those gifts. We're to use those gifts to, to, to help the church, to strengthen the church, and to grow in our faith. That's Paul's point in verses 1 through 11. He gets to, actually 1 through 10, he, he gets to verse 11, and he singles out one of those specific groups of people. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers um, to, to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He, he spotlights these specific people, pastors and teachers. All five of these titles regard someone who teaches the Bible. Um, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. Shepherds there specifically refers to pastors, me, the, the job that I have. My job as a pastor is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. I love shepherding as a pastor. There's, there's only been so much shepherding I can do during quarantine, and, and I hate it. Um, and even now, there's, there's, there's only so much I can do as I talk to different people, as I meet with different people, because we, we just can't do as much. Um, I told Howard a few weeks ago, man, I just, I got to I got to get back to some form of a, of a normal shepherding routine because for like two months I had very sporadic kind of thing. Um, and understand by myself, I can never provide the adequate shepherding each member of this church needs to grow in their faith well. But by myself, I can't do that. Paul lays out the, the pastors do that and they equip the other saints in the church to do that as well so that we can all grow up into maturity in Christ. My goal is to have at least one interaction with, with each member of our church, each family unit in our church, once a year, at least one or two per year. Um, I'm not going to meet that this year because of COVID-19, but um, I, I, one to two personal interactions with, with, with each family in the unit, uh, each family unit in the church per year. But that's not enough for you to grow to full maturity in Christ me meeting with you once or twice a year. The pastor's job is to equip the church to be able to, um, to, to, be able to do that as well, 
to be able to shepherd one another, to be able to disciple one another. But even more than that, the, the pastor must equip the church to reach the lost, to, to reach those in their life who don't know Jesus. You know, I've, I've been on several mission trips in my life, and uh, my first few mission trips, I remember um, we mostly helped in like homeless shelters and kids centers and, and things like that, and which was great. But I remember being on those trips and thinking to myself, you know, these, these are all great little trips, but, but how do we reach the people who are just living normal lives? Like, we're doing a really good job of reaching homeless people and, and underprivileged children, but, but what about the people who just live their life and, you know, work a job and come home to their kids and eat dinner and go to bed? Like, how do you reach those people? Because they don't typically come to a homeless shelter or a children's center. How, how do you reach those people with the gospel? And the reality is that's where all of us come in. That, that's where all of us come in. I've said so many times while I preach, I can't reach every single person in, in every one of your lives. I can't do that. I don't have the capacity or the bandwidth or the time to do that. I, I can pour into you, though, so that you reach those people. Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, people that you do hobbies with, you know, you play golf with or go to the gym with or, or whatever, and even strangers, the, the clerk at Publix, um, your mailman, um, just, just any of those types of people. In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about the final aspect of these building blocks, and that is witness. So, so we'll deal with that then. But um, if we're going to reach all these people in our lives, we must aim for spiritual maturity in ourselves so we are strong enough to be able to reach them properly. Paul names three ways here in verse 12, um, verse 12 and 13, that, that we are to grow into maturity. The, I'm sorry, in verse 13. We all attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and mature manhood. But the second part of verse 13 there connects to mature manhood. So unity of faith, what is that? Well, it's unity in what we believe. That is, as Christians grow in maturity, that they will come to correct doctrine together. What, what you believe matters. What you believe determines how you live your life. That's why there's so many denominations, because Christians have come to different agreements about what certain doctrines in the Bible believe, what, what they are, what position you have on them. And, you know, it's okay for us to disagree on some of those things. That, that's fine. But we have to get the main things correct. We have to get the most important things correct. You know, some doctrines in the Bible, frankly, don't have a clear answer, and people are going to disagree on them. You know, did... Did creation happen 6,000 years ago or 13.7 billion years ago? I have my position, other people have theirs, we worship Christ together. You know, does the, does the second coming of Jesus happen before the tribulation or after the tribulation? I have my position on that, other Christians have different positions, we still worship the same Jesus. We can disagree on things like that. But other doctrines in the Bible have an absolute answer that we must hold to as true because it will affect how we live. Is God's word, is the Bible God's inspired word, or is it just a bunch of chicken scratching of old cavemen? That, that's going to determine how we live. Is Jesus the Son of God, the King of Kings, worth following, or is he just a good moral teacher who died who, you know... We can listen to a few things he says. They're, they're nice little paintings for our wall, but, uh, you know, those, those other things he said, I, maybe we don't want to listen to those. 
we have, to, we have to come to unity of faith there to be spiritually mature. And then it goes on into verse 13, the knowledge of the Son of God. That is, the more you actively pursue your relationship with Christ, the more you will get to know Him more. You will know His heart, you will know His mind, His spirit, the way He wants things to be. For those of you who are married, the longer you've been married, the better you've gotten to know your spouse. It's the same with Christ. The longer you follow him, the longer you pursue him, the more you're going to get to know him. And then he says, finally, uh, mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's something like in Christ, we're full-grown men and women is what Paul's goal for us is. Full-grown men and women. That's our goal. It comes from correct doctrine, it comes from fully knowing Christ, and it comes from being like Christ. We see a sample of what that looks like to be like Christ in verses 2 and 3. Um, he, with, with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It, it's this life of being like Jesus in all the things we do. It, it, it's, it's how we live. Our character must seek to be just like Christ. We're going to screw up at that, but it's our goal. Our goal in the Christian life is to get to know Jesus better and become more like him. So what happens when you don't, mature, when, when you don't pursue that? When being a full-grown man in Christ is not what you pursue, what happens? Well, verse 14, you're immature. When, when, you're, when you're not mature in Christ, you're, you're like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Well, first of all, when, when you don't pursue that, when you don't want to grow in your faith, when you don't want to become more like Jesus, you're like children. A lot of times when the Bible says be like children, it's a good thing. Here it's not. It's like children. I love my son Haddon. He's incredible. He's the cutest baby in the whole world. I love being a dad. Haddon, though, is completely dependent on Adrian and I. He's completely dependent. He turned seven weeks old yesterday. He's completely dependent on Adrian and I. He can't do anything by himself. As cute as he is, he can't go to bed by himself. He can't use the bathroom by himself. He can't eat by himself. He can't get dressed by himself or anything else. He is immature. Not in a negative sense, you know, not like a 30-year-old that acts like a 5-year-old. Like, he's immature in the physical sense. He has not grown up yet. He needs Adrian and I to survive. If, if, if he were just dropped in the middle of New York City and, and just left there, he'd be tossed to and fro, and he would not survive. And that's what it's like to be spiritually immature. You, you get tossed to and fro, and you do not survive. He says tossed around by three things. Um, it, it, tossed around by every wind of doctrine... That is, there are false doctrines out there everywhere. Just scroll on your Facebook news feed for a little bit. You'll see about 12 of them in the first three minutes. Um, you, every wind of false doctrine. You know, there, there was um, a few years ago when, when I was still in seminary, um, Adrian's mom was up visiting us in Kentucky, and Adrian, her mom, and I went to this outlet mall that was about 20 minutes away from Louisville, 
And, um, you know, men and women are different in Outlet Mall. Men know exactly the three stores they're going to go to. They know what they're looking for inside, so they go in and get what they need and leave. Um, women, on the other hand, want to check out everything and see everything, touch everything and feel everything. So that's what Adrian and her mom are doing. And I'm outside standing against a wall, ready to leave. Um, and these two people approach me. It's this um, African-American guy and uh, kind of a middle-aged uh, woman, blonde woman. They come up to me and they tell me, hey, we're a part of a Bible study. You know, that's a bad sign right there. When, when they're not a part of a church, they're a part of a Bible study. Um, and and they, they start telling me about how they, they're out here telling everybody about how they have to become a part of their Bible study to be saved. Their Bible study, as we begin talking, believes that you, you must take the Lord's Supper only one time a year on Passover to be saved. That's part of salvation. You, you, you can't be saved if you don't take the Lord's Supper once a year on Passover. Don't take it any other time. It's wrong. Don't take it, you know, Christmas Eve. Don't take it on, during a Sunday morning worship service. Passover alone. That's what the Bible teaches is what they tell me. And they had a biblical argument for it. Like, they weren't just nuts. They, they took me to a few Bible verses and showed me. And even though I had several counterpoints to talk to them about, that they were convinced of their argument, and eventually I walked away, because you can't convince somebody like that. Here's the reality. If you're not mature in your faith, you see them showing you Bible verses to make this argument, and you join their cult. You, you join their cult. So by every wind of doctrine, we get tossed to and fro for a mature. Um, and by human cunning, that's something like deceit or trickery. If you're not spiritually mature, it's very easy for anybody to convince you with logic of something false. Um, because remember, your beliefs lead to your actions. Um, if they convince you of something wrong, it leads to wrong living. So um, another story of when I was in Louisville, like... I, I have a lot of stories like this from Louisville, but um, Adrian and I had a park across the road from our, from our apartment called Brown Park. I would go there and run occasionally. So I go over there and run, and I'm on my cool down. I'm walking back. Adrian and I have like this dinner party to get to afterwards, so I got to get home and clean up and get over there. She knows I'm going to be home around 6 o'clock. It's 5.55, and I'm walking, and this lady comes past me, and she just starts talking to me. And then an hour later, we're still there talking and we missed our dinner party. Um, and so she starts talking to me and it's very apparent that she has a very um, liberal theology. And um, she starts telling me that, that it's very clear, I mean, Christianity can't be the only way to God. I mean, it, it's just obvious. I mean, logically think about it. Like, you know, what about all the faithful Muslims who live out their faith? What about all the faithful Hindus that are so sincere in their belief? I mean, after all, the evangelicals are just nuts, and they just, they're, they're closed-minded, and they just do all this. It, she had no, like, biblical argument. She had no anything for this. She just didn't like the idea that Christianity is the only way. And if you aren't spiritually mature, it's easy for someone to convince you that with the smallest bit of emotional appeal, the smallest bit of logic convince you otherwise, get you to believe something false. And remember, what you believe leads to how you live. 
And then he says craftiness. That, that is directly from Genesis chapter 3. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. It's the devil will eat spiritually, mature, spiritually immature Christians for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a midnight snack. He will devour them. So pursue spiritual maturity. How do you do that? That's the final two verses, 15 and 16. Paul says, speak the truth in love. We're to speak the truth in love to each other. We want this to be the model of our church. We speak the truth in love to each other. Not just from the pulpit, but also in the, not pews, but the seats right now. Um, in the crowd of people at church, we want to speak the truth in love to each other. Truth, that being we, we teach the Bible faithfully, we speak the truth to each other in a loving way in that we love each other like a family. We love each other like a family. There's plenty of examples of churches that, that only do one or the other of these. They speak the truth or they're quote-unquote loving, but they don't do both. You know, you think of you know, Westboro Baptist Church and, and just their, their, their meanness toward homosexuals. In the most unloving way possible, they preach that homosexuality is a sin. They don't do it loving. On the other end, you think of liberal churches who deny the truth of the Bible in the name of love. But if, if I don't tell you something life-saving in the name of not upsetting you, I don't love you. If I can't tell you the truth in a kind way, I don't love you. We must speak the truth in love. So think about the issue of homosexuality. We want to speak the truth that homosexuality is a sin, but we want to have an educated reason for why that is what we believe. It's not worse than something else. It's what the scriptures say. But if we, we want to be loving and compassionate to homosexuals. We want to love them like they're our own and how we treat them. If people disagree with us, let us be so loving to them that they can't speak ill of us because of how loving we're being to them. But also, we must speak the truth and love to each other, not just to the world, but to each other. You know the proverb, iron sharpens iron. Uh, iron sharpens iron. That is, I help you grow by being like iron to you, and you help me grow by being like iron to me. We grow by speaking the truth and love to each other. We do it in love. In other words, we're not jerks when we do it. It's not a thing of you just need to hear my opinion. No, we're, we're seeking to love one another by speaking the truth to each other. If we're going to grow in Christ, be mature, we have to be willing to have hard conversations with each other and do it in love. And we have to be willing to hear those hard conversations and, and grow from them rather than attacking back. Paul says, grow up in every way. As we have the truth spoken to us, we grow in Christ-likeness. We hear the truth and we change. You've got to be willing to change when others speak the truth to you. You're not sin-free. You're not perfect. You have not arrived at Christ-likeness completely. There are aspects of who you are that needs to change. And the same is true for me. You've got to kill within yourself how easily you pull the shield up every time someone gives you a form of criticism. God uses that criticism to change you. 
God's goal is to change you and transform you. You know, at the end of the Bible in Revelation 21, um, that, that scene is absolutely about new heavens and new earth, the eternity, but, but it's interesting what Jesus says in Revelation 21.5. He says, behold, I am making all things new. Not I will make all things new, I am making all things new. He's speaking to John in 95 AD right there. I am making all things new. That is, he's making us new in some sense right now. He's transforming us right now to prepare us for one day when we will be fully transformed. It's a shadow of what is to come. Church, God is not content for you or I to be Stanley Thornton Christians. That is, we... We've been Christians for 30 years, yet we're still sucking on a pacifier. God is not content with that. We must pursue him and let that change us. Paul says this is how the church is built, the final part of verse 16. It builds itself up in love. That is, when each of us pursue that growth, notice what happens. He says the church functions properly. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which, is, which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow and it builds itself up in love. That is, everything is in order. The, the, the body is functioning properly. Everything's working right. The church is built up in love. Do you want this for us? Like, don't, don't hear me wrong. I'm not diagnosing a problem in our church. Like, we're, we're not a poorly functioning church. But, but every church will get there if they don't keep this in check. Every church will get there if they don't pursue growth. It may take 20 years to get there, but, but it will happen to every church that does not pursue maturity in Christ. A church will become unhealthy if they don't keep in check their maturity in Christ. We keep it in check by pursuing maturity. And when each of us individually grows, we all reach unity of faith, we reach knowledge of Christ, and we become full-grown men and women in Christ. In that, everything will function properly. Pray with me. Father, you are not content that we be immature Christians. You want us to grow. This is not a thing that we simply come to Christ and now we get to go to heaven when we die. This is a thing that we come to Christ and we grow more and more to be like him so that when we see his face one day, we will adore him. And that's the longing of our heart. Oh God, would you make us new? Would you start with me? Would you make me new? Would you help me to change where I need to change? Would you help me to listen to your word? And would you help me to listen to um, the soft criticism, the truth and love from other Christians, both in and out of this church? And would you help me to use that as iron sharpening iron rather than um, not listening to it and, and pushing them away? Father, help me to change. And I pray that's the prayer for every person here. In Jesus' name. Amen.